Welcome to the Lights and Sirens podcast. I am your host, Bernie Robinson, and it feels good to be back. I've been away for a little bit, but we're back and we're uh, ready to go. So today will be the first installment of what I call my Superwomen series. And you may ask, what is a superwoman? I have one here with me today, and I'm going to tell you about her. She is a mom. She's a New York City paramedic. She's a critical care paramedic. She's a paramedic supervisor. She's a recent master's degree recipient. She also has been an emergency medical dispatcher. She's a mentor. She worked with me on several, on many different projects, including establishing a diversity and inclusion committee, among others, in our department where we work together right now. She is an emerging leader in the healthcare field and a rising star. Today's superwoman is my colleague and my good friend, Tara McAvoy. Tara, how are you today? I'm good. How are you, Bert? Good. Welcome. Welcome to the Lights and Sirens podcast. So, I've known Tara for a long time. We... Before we work together now at the same organization, but prior to that organ, this organization, we both worked at New York City EMS together, Emergency Medical Services. And I'm talking about back in the old days when the uniforms were green and white, you know, pre merger with FDNY. So, you know, there's a lot of history here, but there's also a lot of, um, you know, new things that we're doing that are, that are just, you know, you'll hear about, I'm sure, as we talk. All right, so Tara, tell us, how did you get into EMS? Tell us your story. Uh, how I got into EMS was because my sister thought I had no direction in life. Okay. I was working four different jobs at the same time, and I didn't like really, well, I liked waitressing, but there was not a whole lot of benefit to waitressing. So she, my sister worked for EMS, and she's like, you need to take an EMT class. At least this way, you have something. And... Uh, so she convinced me that I should take an EMT class, and I kept telling her that I don't think I'm going to like this because I didn't want to touch people. And <laughs> <laughs> so I did it. I applied for the city. I got called. I went through the academy, and I tried to quit after my first job. And uh, Really? Yeah. Your, your first call? The very first done. call in the city. It was. I, yeah. ta- I talked about that in one of the earlier episodes, that there are people that walk, go in, you know, they join, start, and their first day they're, they're done and never come back. Uh, that was exactly what I tried to do. So it what was, happened? Well, it was um, Lower Manhattan, and it was Delancey Street, like Delancey and Clinton. Lower East Side. Uh-huh. Yes, and there was this um, young lady <laughs> who was a prostitute, and she had it was right when the HIV, the AIDS epidemic was happening, so she had a big oozing ulcer, and uh, I had to sit in the back, and, we <laughs> and I had to wrap it up, and we drove her to Beekman, and... Uh, I got back in the ambulance afterwards, and I said to my partner, who was this very rough-and-tumble woman who was taking no crap, and okay. she's like, uh, I said, could you take me back to that station? And she laughed at me and said, no. What the heck is wrong with you? I was like, um, that was a hooker. <laughs> I'm from Long Island, so we, and I had to sit and talk to her. I think I need to go home now. And she was like, absolutely not. So I told her I was going to walk home, and I walked back to the station, and she started laughing at me because she told me she wasn't driving me back there. I'm like, well, I'm going to walk, and she starts laughing. She's like, and how are you going to get there? Do you know where you are? And it, I mean, we didn't have cell phones and GPS and everything then, so oh, it was geez. like, well, no. So she hit the 98, and uh, she kept taking me to jobs and wouldn't take me back. And the next day, I was supposed to work with her again, and I told her I wasn't coming back. And she's like, 
I will drive to your house and I'll drag you here. You're coming back. So I was afraid and I came back. <laughs> okay. So, and the rest is history. The rest is history. Yeah. I blame it all on her. Oh, man. Okay. So that's an interesting start to a, <laughs> a career. Definitely. But um, since we're talking about that, why don't you describe your your journey in your career? How did you get to where you are right now? All those things I just described. How did you right. get there? Walk us through that. So, well, there I was the CMT who was really unsure of what I was doing. And I stayed in lower Manhattan for six years as an EMT before I finally decided, okay, it's time. It's time to go try to take this medical class. And I took the screening and then everything in the world stopped because they were going to merge us with Fidney. And, uh, yep. So I remember that. I had a partner who I needed to get away from because we were forever going into CCU because people complained about him a lot. Okay. And, uh, I decided to go teach at the, at the academy. So I did that test. I passed that test. I was teaching at the academy. And then they started the screening again for paramedic because they were going to put in Fidney Medic 1. And I think it was 17 seats available for 1,700 eligible people. Wow. Took the test, and I got myself in there. And from there, I went to Brooklyn. I stayed at Brooklyn a while. Then I wound up leaving the city because, um, well, I think we could talk about the merge later. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, I left the city, I went to another organization, and um, I, I worked there in dispatch as a paramedic. I worked at the, all the different divisions in there. And then I got married and had kids, so I went per diem. And then per diem, I think I was per diem for like 11 years, but I was still working in everything. I was still a medic on the road, I was a dispatcher inside, I was whatever they needed me to do. Right. Did a little quality too. and. Um, then a supervisor posting happened, and my kids were a little bit older, and it was time. So I applied, I got it, and uh, they made me. They made me. <laughs> they made me be a critical care paramedic. So I did the critical care paramedic class, which is uh, interesting. Yes, and we, uh, <laughs> we, we actually couldn't be supervisors without that certification. Right. Yeah. So that's how I have the critical care, and uh, I do do the calls. Yes. And, uh, oh yeah. And well, and then I know you mentioned my master's, so somewhere in there, I had this mentor, you know, this guy, <laughs> Bernard Robinson, who told me, <laughs> why aren't you in school? And I said, I finished school. I have my bachelor's. But Tara, why aren't you in school? <laughs> so because of you, I proudly got my master's. Excellent. And I'm very glad you did. Thank you. Yeah, so we did talk a little bit earlier about FDNY EMS and the merger. You know, everybody out there, they know I talk about this, that about 25 years ago now it's been. This mm. this year, I think, still the 25th anniversary of that merger. That's right. Um, so as somebody who worked for the city, you know, during the merger, what, what are your thoughts on <laughs> the merger of New York City EMS, HHC, and um, FDNY? So my thoughts on it, um, I've never been shy about announcing that I think Rudy Giuliani ruined my job when he made us merge with them. Um, okay. <laughs> it, was, it was a rough thing, um, especially because being a woman who's now merged into the fire department, it was really hard because the firemen really never had to deal with women before. And at that time, I was still working at the academy. And so we would get sent to The Rock, which is where the fire academy is. Far Rockaway. It, uh, no, oh, no uh, Randall's, uh, Randall's Island. Randall's Island. Randall's Island. And now you're working with firemen who are instructors, but you would have, it was called the cycle, 
and it was the cycle of all like the firemen who've been firemen for 800 years or however many they are now, um, who now had to learn first responder stuff. They were, uh, what were they? CFRs. CFRs, certified first responders. They did for relation, yeah. So we had them and we would have our probie class. So you had like two different groups of people. The probies were wonderful because they were new. They had no idea. They didn't have to deal with like the history that they get ingrained. But the firemen who had been around for a really long time did not handle women well. They were, um, and it, we were young too, like you know, you're in your 20s. Right. So he has old men <laughs> dealing with these young girls and it, it was never smooth. There was, uh, there was one um, fireman who was very, it was me and another young girl teaching, I think we were teaching splinting or just whatever, whatever it was at that moment. And he kept making really like crude remarks really mm-hmm. like bad where it like got, were these like bad jokes or no like, kind of like not a joke he, like what he kind of wanted to do to you kind of thing okay and uh so <laughs> i looked at him at one point finally because i had enough and uh you know and we were always taught like don't be rude to them they're trying to deal with like it was you had to pamper them it wasn't about like you just had to suck it up and uh i remember if, i don't remember what he said anymore because i think i blocked it but uh i said to him do you have a daughter? <laughs> and he yeah. goes, yeah, why? I said, well, because you're like my father's age, so you're probably, you know, your daughter's probably around my age. I wonder how you'd feel if your my father was talking to your daughter the way you're talking to me. And okay. he, like, turned red. He leaves. So, and he's, like, yelling that how dare I say stuff like that. So I went to my bosses. I'm like, listen, I have a big problem with this guy. And I explained it all. He made a complaint about me, and I got in trouble. Then I made him feel bad. They wow. wanted me to apologize to him, and I wouldn't, so I just stayed in trouble. Wow. <laughs> like, so that was uh, that's, the that's my thoughts on the merger. <laughs> it was really rough. Listen, it's, you you were dealing with that on the academy side of, you know, during the training of it, and then out in the field, out in the road, we were dealing with it as well. Yeah. You know, they didn't want to really be there on the calls. You know, it was a forced marriage, you yeah. know, and, and they didn't want to do it. We didn't want to be a part of them. And, it, you know, that kind of is still an undercurrent, you know. I think back then, it would have if they were going to merge us with somebody, it would have made more sense to be merged with the police department because that was who we dealt with all every, the time. And they, and they deal with women because they had female cops for years and years. So on that same vein, right, even just being a, a woman in this field in general, even just EMS in general, mm-hmm. you know, we'll talk about. You know, there weren't many women then either, and, and no. the language, the things we that were said to women in front of women about women then um, are different now because now you will get checked on it a oh, lot yeah. quicker. But you know, you guys went through a lot. When I think about the stuff well, that they, I remember, you know, they thought they could touch you too. Like oh, I think oh. I'm, I mentioned that once before, but yeah, they thought it was really it was terrible because you know here you are, you're in your twenties, you're. And I was like, I was a Long Island cupcake. I mean, <laughs> I really was. It's like I grew up in Suffolk County. Right. So this was a whole different world to me. And you had firemen who really thought they could put their hands on you. Like, wow. I, uh, patients, like if you had an EDP, mm-hmm. it's one thing. But when it's, you know, but I, there's a million a stories. A fellow professional? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a story of a female paramedic who I know very well um, who it was like a, I think the fire truck, it was a fire truck accident or something. And she has this firefighter on the long board because he boarded everybody. Board everybody yeah. And uh, he grabbed her. And her partner grabbed him. 
it wound up having a trial and everything. And uh, wow, they um, nothing happened to him. There was witnesses, cops. We were like, oh no, we saw this, and nothing, right. nothing happened. Interesting. <laughs> All right. So has much changed today? Yes. <laughs> okay. yes. Good. Good. Good news. I think uh, the world has made a change. Yeah, you know? definitely. And also, <laughs> those guys from back then have phased out of the, yes. you know, of the department. So, you know, I, I can say also I've seen some positive changes mm-hmm. as well um, from the immediate merger when it, when it first happened to now. Um, the attitude, you know, not wanting to do calls and those things are a great improvement. Right. Definitely. Well, I think the not wanting to do calls, a lot of that changed from when they made the, you know, promotion to firefighters. Exactly. Exactly. I think there's like a squad in Manhattan. Lower Manhattan has a squad that like is all paramedics. Right. Right. So that, yeah, that helped a lot. Yeah. Yeah. At first it was like, well, how how is this a promotion? This makes no sense. But a lot of the EMTs that, you know, went through, went on to be firefighters kind of changed, kind of changed that. So that's good. That was a positive, but it's a shame it had to be like that, but... Those experiences from 20 years ago have made us, you know, yeah. who we are now. And that's why you're super women now, <laughs> because, you know, you, you had to uh, put up with a lot, you know, and, and some things you shouldn't have had to put up with. So, you know, kudos to you for uh, sticking to your guns. Thanks. As a mom of three, right, you are, um, yes. you're a critical care paramedic, a supervisor, college grad, all of those things. How were you able to maintain your work-life balance? Because <laughs> we all know as leaders, that's something we hear a lot from this younger generation coming up. The, one of the main complaints is my work-life balance, my work-life balance. So how did you, how do you manage? Um, I, ma- I manage because my kids put up with a lot. They, uh, I don't know that it's balanced as much as that you learn how to deal with each other. Especially when, when I was still going to classes, I would, you know, at one point it was I was working overnights and that way I was there for some of the stuff in the daytime. But now when school started, I went back to days and school was at night and they just, you know, I would make a dinner and run out the door to classes. I'd come back and they were, they're older. So thankfully that was, I think, the only way that this worked because they're a little Definitely. more self-sufficient. You know, they didn't need me to give them a bath at night and put them to bed. It was... They, they still don't go to bed, but um, <laughs> they they made it easier. But they they checked me because there was a point where I was very much I would answer my phone to anybody who called me, like if I was on, if I was working, if I was off, whatever. And I had these people looking at me, going, uh, "Mom, we don't really care about your job right now. We we're talking to you." And okay. it was like they checked me over and over to the point where I, I turned my ringer off and I tell right. people like, "You can text me. I'll get to you eventually." But Taking a stand. Yeah. And they're also watching you, right? So they're, yes. they're watching, right, two girls mm-hmm. in the sun, and they're watching you go through this journey and going back to school and the other job. You know, we yeah. all have second and third jobs at one point in our EMS careers. I have, at one point, I had worked at three different mm-hmm. agencies. Um, and, you know, and they see this stuff, and, and they learn. They pick up on those things. So, that you know, these are not bad things to pick up that, you know. But you do have to balance it. You so. Do. You know, shout out to them for... The schooling was actually a big part. Like, I finished my bachelor's because, Mm -hmm. like every other EMS person, I did dribs and drabs here and there. And at one point, I'm like, you know what? I have kids, and they need to understand that education is important. So 
at 43 years old, I finished my bachelor's. I was like, all right, now wow. they can never tell me that's, you didn't do it. That's right. So, so now you can demand that of them because mm-hmm. you, you haven't done it. I remember, first of all, I didn't know what work-life balance was. We just did it. Right. Right. And, you know, I went to medic school, two toddler sons, one and like one and a half. We moved, like forcibly <laughs> had to move from an apartment for it was just a bad situation. All of this while going to med and still working full time. Right. I worked overnights, you know, my, I had my wife, so she, you know, did her part with the boys in a day, and I worked the overnights, and I came home, she went to work, and I tried to sleep, but I had them. We, we <laughs> made it work. You, you, you know, it's two years, like 18 months to two years, you know, we sucked it up, we made it happen. I, you know, I don't remember, I don't know if it's a difference in the generations or what, I don't want to pick on any particular <laughs> generation, but I never just, I never went to my boss and complained that they're not helping me with my schedule. I, right. You, you know, you pick the schedule that works best for you. You pick the school schedule that works best for you. You make it work, and you get the job done. I yeah. think that's just a difference I see, you know, out there now. Um, yeah, I never had a conversation with my boss about work-life balance. I don't know about you. No, no, me either. I, <laughs> and you and just I know did back it. then what our bosses would have said. So. Like, shut up and go to work. Go on over time. Exactly. Yeah, because that was leadership, right? Mm-hmm. I, I said this before. I'll, our leadership 20 plus years ago was just some overweight guy behind a desk yelling at you to get out the station. Yep, exactly. Right? <laughs> they were all overweight. Exactly. <laughs> and then you fast forward to like current era, and now they're talking about you have to develop people and one on one meetings and develop your staff. And they were, I know for a fact, they didn't hear any of this stuff coming <laughs> they up. They did not. <laughs> you know, we could talk about things we were told, and it, you know, nothing about helping me guide my career or anything like that. It was just, you know, shut up, do what you right. told, and get out the station. And that was it. Are you 63 or 62? Exactly. So it's amazing to see how the field has progressed. Um, you know. that, and you know what else? The other thing about partners, too. Like, yes. This is who you were working with. And shut up. We don't care about it. Like, figure it out. Yeah, there's no and switching partners. Switching partners, complaining about partners. Like, yeah, we yeah. talk to each other. I mean, I could tell you terrible stories about buying cleaning supplies for somebody and getting to a point where it's like you smell so bad we've talked to you so many times and here's a bag full of like shampoo and soap and whatever with directions on how to use them hygiene yeah it was i mean it's mean it sounds terrible but it was like that bad i've had similar and now they come up to you and they're like i can't work with this one because i don't really like their cologne it's like what Spray them with Febreze. Like, don't yeah. really. No. <laughs> but it's, but your partner is a big part of a big part of your day, your career, right? Yeah. And yeah, you have that bad partner. It could be a nightmare. And those are things. Also, you have to learn how to work with people you don't want to work with, or may not like, or are different than you. Yes. Yes. Right. So, you know, then we get into diversity. You know, that was handled way differently a long time <laughs> yes, ago. Yes, it was. Um, but, you know, today we're learning about cultural competence, cultural humility, and, and, and microaggressions, which I didn't know. Like, it's funny now you hear titles of things like work-life balance. Mm-hmm. Didn't know what it was back then. We just did it. Microaggressions. I didn't know it had a name. I thought it was just people saying stupid things under their breath. Now right. they have an <laughs> official title for it. It's microaggression. So that's what I was dealing with. I said I have to say, we're, you know, diversity is a, is a big part of the discussion now everywhere. And, and, and you know, we work together on a, a um, committee mm-hmm. working, you know, dealing with diversity. And, you know, just it's an important topic. And it's just something that, 
you know, I like to see more patience from people and, and, mm-hmm. and, and you know, I was we talk about asking questions and you know, don't shun or shy away or make fun of another culture that you don't you don't know about. Ask questions about it. You might learn something. Uh, absolutely. That's like the best piece of advice because it's really interesting too. Like when you start to talk to somebody from another culture or for just even just from a different point of view, it's like, oh, well, like you not understanding that or not 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 understanding, not knowing that like we were touched. We were touched by like the weirdest people right. too. And it's something you never, why would you think that? Because it's not normal. It's not, you wouldn't have been that person that would have done it. Right. So you wouldn't even know that that happens. Right. Where, like, all sorts of weird things like that, though. No, definitely, definitely. All right, so currently you're working for an organization that operates within the New York City 911 system, right? Mm-hmm. But also as a big player in the, in the facility uh game, if mm-hmm. you will, um, in the facility side. Are the challenges the same for both? I guess it's more of a clinical. We're no, clinical here. It, they're actually very different. It's, you know, when I started, I was, in my mind, I was, you know, a 911 paramedic. It's like, I was a city medic, you know, and now you want me to go on an ambulance with all these, like, tools. They're handing you vents and and pumps and whatever, and you're looking at an event like, oh, my God, what am I going to do with this thing? Right. <laughs> and, you know, in the back of my head, I think the first the first couple of times on a vent job, I think, was the most, like, terrifying moment of my life. And then, like, you kind of remember to calm down, and it's like, I have an Ambu bag. Oh, I could think, what are they? They're BVMs now, right? Yeah. <laughs> Ambu is a brand. But uh, it's like, I can do this. And the, it, it just, those were really scary. And then even doing, like, some of the, some of the more complicated um critical care jobs you're just like whoa yeah. this is i wasn't born to do this <laughs> this is like but even that comes back to you because you know like as a supervisor we get sent on critical care jobs sometimes and i i had one recently that was being paced vented paste um they had like three different drips and i'm like oh boy <laughs> that's what we of, call a train wreck <laughs> yeah and i'm sitting there thinking like oh I haven't paced somebody since like under the willy b you know like <laughs> what and uh it wound up working out fine you know the, the nurse actually messed up a little bit but we fixed it and uh yeah being a paramedic <laughs> is challenging enough right but then mm-hmm. there's also another credential critical care uh paramedic which obviously is a higher you know skill level and have um they are able to use different equipment, you know, and more complicated equipment on patients and treat more, the more very, very severe, critically sick patients. I've gone to a call once in Far Rockaway, um, Peninsula Hospital. It's not there mm-hmm, anymore, right? right? But um, <laughs> we, we get to the hospital and a doctor literally was about to break down in tears. He was just like, thank God you're here. Just go. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, are you serious right now? You're a doctor. Relax, bro. <laughs> so, that, but that's like a but, lot of their reaction. The ones that are sending yes, them out are like, get yes. it. Go. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this is one of those classic train wreck pay, like post-cardiac arrest, balloon pump. You know, everything that they could throw on a patient was on that patient. And he's handing it to me. Right. You know, we're leaving a, a hospital with nurses and doctors and everybody else. And they're handing this patient to me, my EMT partner, to drive 17 miles <laughs> to... At 5 o'clock to, on a Friday. Exactly. Yeah. To, to North Shore, Manhattan, or wherever we were going, probably there, to mm-hmm. the CCU. And, it, and that's just... A, it's a crazy... It's a huge responsibility. And 
a lot of times when we're city medics, right, we think, oh, we got this. We're the best. <laughs> and then you get into, you know, traditionally transport are known as nursing home discharges and take people home. But when you get into the inner facility and the real meat and potatoes of it, mm-hmm. it's serious stuff. It oh. is. And, and I have numerous calls I can recount where it was like, oh, my God, how am I going to do it? Right. You're having this little heart attack yeah. with every single – I had yeah. I had one <laughs> – I don't know why I'm laughing. I had one. It was coming out of one hospital, going to a bigger hospital in the same city. And uh, it was like a post-cardiac arrest, patient arrested like three times in the ER. And now they're transferring them. And, it, you know, everything's short of a balloon pump, you know. Right. And uh, But then they turn around they're like, but after the third cardiac arrest, the family signed a DNR. So I'm like, um, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I have administrators calling me saying, if your patient goes into arrest and dies in your ambulance, you have to go back to the sending Turn facility. Turn around and go back, right. And I was like, okay, let me make sure they know this before we leave because odds weren't good. <laughs> and, uh, so the doctor's like, this is my cell phone number. If you're coming back, please don't come back. But if you're coming back, please try to drive fast. Here's my cell phone number. Let me know you're coming back. If you come, I don't want you back. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> gotcha. So we're driving, and uh, the grandson's in the front of the ambulance with the EMT. And I think I had an, another medic back there with me. And of course, the patient right. dies. Uh huh. And uh, but she, but she was vented, and she's like on all these drips and everything. And the other paramedics like, I think we should keep going. <laughs> I said. I'm not walking into the other hospital with a dead person with a DNR in my hand. Like, no. Right. So I call the administrator and then the doctor. And she's like, you didn't make it? <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry. So when we showed up, they're like, they didn't know what to do. They're like, how come you couldn't make it? I said, you gave me somebody who was dying. Right. Like, it's not my fault. <laughs> Just yeah. so. But those are like, that yeah. doesn't happen. Yeah. If they die in your ambulance when you're going 911, you're still going. You're doing CPR and you're going. And exactly. here it's like all right, we're going to turn these things off now. And it's like, it's creepy. Yeah, it is. And, and the same thing with that is community paramedicine, mm-hmm. right? When we started doing that. So that was something else that our department started doing. One of the first, I guess, in the East Coast to do yeah. it. It was really huge in the West Coast. And what that is, is it's a program basically designed to treat the patient at home and not transport them to the hospital. So that's what community paramedicine in a short sentence mm-hmm. is. And as as critical care paramedics in our organization, we were the first uh, <laughs> paramedics to start doing this in the East Coast. And I remember some of those calls. And yeah, those are like, and some of those were end of life calls when you're there and you're on the phone with the doctor, kind of watching the patient, and, and you can't do anything. And they want you to give them comfort care. <laughs> yes. And I was like, am I allowed to do this? Yeah, this doesn't. It, some, it goes against everything that you know as yeah, a paramedic. You're just felt, like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. This is comfort. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, that was kind of that's a, that was a whole different side, another side that. that yeah, like. you have to switch your brain for that one. It, Good point. That's it. So we're almost two years into the pandemic. Mm-hmm. What is the impact on the EMS industry today? I think that uh, today people are still just tired. They worked like. You see, they worked a lot, and they saw so much death. The, uh, like the amount of death was just something that you can't even put into words. So when you hear people with all their like p- conspiracy theories or politics involved, it's like no, you don't understand. Those those freezer trucks, they were real, you know. So I think that 
probably has the biggest impact on the EMS workers where, you know, you just, it's not conceivable. You know, just when you're pronouncing this many people in a day, I can remember when it first started, even it came back and like, I just had the weirdest job. This guy was talking to us and his sat was 60. And then the other one's like, mine was 30 something. I'm yep, like, I remember those. What the hell are you people talking about? <laughs> like, it was like the zombie invasion or something. So they, um, I think that they're all a little bit tired. Definitely a lot of death. Yeah. I, I had, I remember staff coming to see me like, I just did my 10th cardiac arrest today. Today, yeah. That's un- like, those numbers are unheard of. That much death for 20 something, for anyone. But especially, like, you know, go back to you, right? Mm-hmm. Young you, first in the job, 20-something, bright and cheery, and, and you just did your 10th cardiac arrest, pronounced for the day. That's, that didn't happen. Right, like, it just, exactly. And it's like that, that that's definitely takes a toll on people. We're feeling it industry-wide. Um, there's staffing shortages mm-hmm. across the nation. Um, people are tired, like you said, and it, it definitely has you know a profound impact on on the industry even two years later you know it's it's reverberating throughout i think that when it was happening like right in the, when it was at the highest level or whatever um you didn't know how to handle it and they're looking to like us supervisors the older people like they're almost looking for you to say like no it's going to be okay and you're just like holy crap i don't know if it's going to be okay like it was terrifying yeah. In your professional opinion, what are some changes that need to be made in this industry? In this industry, I think that women need to get more power. Uh, yep, I said it. <laughs> um, I think that one of the things is we need to get more respect. It, it's you know it's sad to say this many years later that it's still kind of looked at as that you know oh and you're EMS like oh here's firemen here's cops. Sanitation still makes more than most EMS people, but um, oh, the salary things. Yeah, it's it, it, that's yeah. that's why the industry is hurting because yeah. you know you have that's why fire why firefighter is a promotion. That's why people leave to go to police, police or corrections yeah. or, or, or sanitation, whatever. Sanitation, yeah, Sanita- sanitation. That's yeah. if you. I don't know. I can't lift that much anymore, but <laughs> <laughs> that that's a good job, and uh, I think those things need to change. Maybe, um, you know, when they talk about licensing instead of just every three years having to recertify, it, yeah. you know, the CME research is a little bit easier, but it's still, you know, you have to go and sit for your New York City remac. So yeah, that, which is three years. Every three years you get tortured because it's horrible because it's a memorization test, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, because yeah. in the field you can open up your protocol, but in the test you can't. Right. So going back. So you said more women in leadership. Yes. Leadership roles. Yes. What roles? Um, well, or all like all roles right now in our organization, um, women go as high as supervisor and, you know, mm-hmm. then there's manager, director, AVP, vice president. There's all these other things that right. have no females. And, uh, it's a shame because there are females that can do the job that probably could even do it very well. <laughs> and, uh, I think that it's, you know, it's always been known as the boys club and uh that it, it's not just there either no it, no that's a, that's industry wide it's it's, yeah. it's a male dominated field we're talking about EMS it's a male dominated uh field specifically non-minority males it's yes. what, what the way i read it which mm-hmm. is a nice way of saying white male dominated industry and, and you just all you need to do is 
look and you see that that's the truest statement around. We've been doing it this long. Like, mm-hmm. how do you, how is it that we're doing it this long, but you only think that that guy can do it? And it's like, right. it's insulting. So Right, and that goes back to the practice, I think, of, you know, your buddies. Like when mm-hmm. we said the good old boys, or that's my buddy, and, and it's, that stuff's hard to break. What broke, what, what changed that for me was at our organization where we're working now, they brought in a consultant years ago, and he said to them in the room, you have to promote the best person for the job. The days of promoting your friends have to end or you're not going to succeed. And I was in that mm-hmm. session when he was doing that. Um, he's now one of our AVPs, but um, he, he said that years ago, and I said, if, if they do this, I have a chance. I think the focus on diversity and inclusion kind of will help that cause too, you know. And, and then it's sadly because, okay, you and I will have this conversation, but if you go in a different group of people, it's like, oh, yeah, they're going to make you because you're a woman. or you know. Like, and like, you've heard that? I, I had that specifically said to me, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that actually hurt me more than anything mm-hmm. because uh, I actually didn't make the complaint about that one either. Mm-hmm. That was made... I still don't, to this day, I still don't know who complained about it. But mm-hmm. yes, I was told, well, you know that it'll be you because you're a woman and they need to put one somewhere. And I was like, really? Like, you know, <laughs> like, and, and that, that's got to hurt because it's like, okay, so forget the fact that I'm 30 years in this business or I've, mm-hmm. you know, paramedic, critical care paramedic. Uh, dispatcher. Master's degree, health administration, uh, started committees. The only reason they're going to promote me is because. I'm a woman. Like, yeah. come on, man. <laughs> yeah. And that's in the 2000s. That's, uh, yeah. I, I took that as a very that. insecure yeah. man that said that to me. Well, that's usually what it is, right? Yes. Even going back to those days. Mm-hmm. Um, they're insecure. They didn't know how to react around women. Women were seen and not heard or whatever. And, and, and I was a big mouth. I, you know, yeah. to this day, I'm like, I get told, like, well, you, you've been a very tough girl always. And I'm like, I'm just the girl that was quitting. I don't know that anybody knows that, but I was not tough. I was, one and done. <laughs> I, exactly. <laughs> All right, let's talk some stories. Some stories. Some memorable stories from your career. There's like some that stay with you whether you want them to or not. And I call them my ghosts. But uh, okay. I have one. But mine are all from Brooklyn. <laughs> and, <laughs> but my the one that uh, was like the only time I ever went to get, um, what is it, CISM, CISD. Okay. Uh-huh. The one and only time. It was a bicycle drive-by shooting on, like, I think it was Saratoga, where there's, like, a little courtyard that goes down in front of this project. Mm-hmm. And it was three people shot. It was, you know, August, and we were the only unit available because everybody was yeah, on a was shooting busy. in Brooklyn. Yeah. Brooklyn was very – everybody had sh- shootings in Brooklyn. And, um, and so I was with my partner, Gary. There was this big dude laying on the ground shot, and I go to him. Gary has this girl who's, like – she was shot in the head, but it was like a 22, so it didn't penetrate the skull. It went around. And right. then, then the biggest whiner was the guy who was grazed in the arm. He's like, oh, I got shot. And, you know, so Gary's right. trying to tell him to shut up. He's dealing with the girl, and I'm over by this big guy. The, guy, the patient was like six feet tall, maybe 250 pounds. It's very key to this story. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, so it's this bicycle drive-by shooting, and he was – you know, a big guy, and they said that he was, like, they would duck down, and he looked up, and he got, like, his neck kind of blown open. I, it was, like, okay, it looked like a shotgun or something right. like that. It was just, like, Gross. chopped meat. and the, yeah. So he was dead. and But all these people were yelling his name and, like, wake up for the lady and wake up. And, like, so it was, like, this moment of, 
holy crap, what do I do? Like, there's no, I, there's nothing I can do, but what do I do? And Gary <laughs> Gary yells across, Ta, what the hell are you doing? Either pronounce them or work on them. Do something. And he might have used some, like, not I'm nice sure. words. So he um, he's yelling at me. So finally I look up at the cop and I give him, you know, like, the time and my shield. And he goes, what do you think? I'm like, what? He's like, is it a boy or a girl? I'm like, what? It's a guy. And he's like, well, what are those numbers? I'm like, those numbers? Uh, you need to go ask somebody, you know? Like, and I pull a sheet over, and then you hear the screaming and everything. Right. We take the other two to the hospital. We're in, we're in Brookdale, and the detectives walk in, and they go, who pronounced the 11-year-old? And we're like, what 11-year-old? Nobody pronounced an 11-year-old. And they're like, no, there was three people. These two are here, and the one back there, he's 11. And it was like the big, the big, the kid? big kid was eleven, and uh, oh, so I like, I, I cried. I think that might be the only one that like, just boom, I cried. I was like eleven. Wow. Like, what? And uh, so I was like, I, I need to go home. I'm, I can't do this job. This sucks. And uh, I went home, and <laughs> I, I called CIS. Right. I think it was D then, whatever. But even yeah. that was so I was working the curriculum in, incident stress debriefing, debriefing team. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And I went and I talked to this guy and uh it was not really helpful. And uh, <laughs> as was my encounter with them, I talked about in episode two. You've got to hear that oh, one. Oh, so <laughs> this is like this is the worst part of the story. I go to work for where we work now, because I was working pretty there too, and one of the I was in dispatch and one of the other female dispatchers comes in, she goes, How are you doing, Tara? I heard all about that call. I went what call? And uh, she goes, oh, you know, my stepdad is the person I talked to. And he was telling me about it. I went, really? Really? I thought it was confidential. And uh, I was pissed. I made a complaint. Uh, oh, wait, happened. her stepdad was the CISD yeah, person? Yeah, who told him, who told, told her, her the, story. the entire story. Yeah. But didn't really help you? No, it didn't help me at all. Like, no, no, please. I got Monday morning quarterbacked on that one oh, forever. Always. Oh, to, and I was like man. jerky about it. I would wait. I would sit there because everybody like, oh, who pronounces an 11 year old? Give him a chance. Take him. And it's like, you weren't there. And that, like, oh, well, I heard his neck was open. I would have found the hole and I would have right. intubated Intub that. And I'm like, yep. oh, I'm really superstar. And they're like, what? I go, that was me. Oh, that was you? <laughs> uh, 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 you know, so. Yeah. No, that was a big part of the job that was yeah. annoying was that and early in the career you, you get that and it's like you kind of take it and it knocks down your confidence a little yeah. bit. But I, we all get that chip on our – at some point we get to a point where we get that chip on our shoulder and, and you yeah, – Say whatever you want. Yeah, now, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it, it kicks in. That's a part of growing up on this job, I guess. You get We all have that chip yeah. that kind of, you so. know, you throw it up there. But there is a uh, community center named for that kid. Is there? Now. Yeah. I, wow. like, for years, I looked up. This was like 1998. <laughs> wow. I think it was like August. I forget. August something, 1998. I have articles. It's just, yeah. he stayed you with just me. Followed. Yeah. That one, yeah, like, 11. broke my heart. 11 years old. Yeah. Like, I think I, my brother was like the chubby kid. So, like, yeah, he was yeah. the chubby Relate, kid. Yeah. And, but he was, he was like the gentle giant. They all loved him. I was like, oh, this is killing me. Man, so, yeah, that's a tough one. Definitely. Yeah. But uh, um, some story. Oh, I told the story with the boot. This is very early, too. It was very funny. It was a man under um, in one of the tunnels, like, I think by the Willie B, like somewhere over there. So a man under is a person hit by a train. And <laughs> there's a foot in a, sh in a boot, and it's on the platform. Like, it got 
amputated. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't know anything about subways. And they there was this like switch on the wall and this one guy kept pulling this switch down and it would like tick back forward going like so every time it banged he would pull it down again. But they all kept saying, Tara, watch the boot. Tara, watch the boot. And I'm like, why the hell do they want me to watch his foot? Like, who's going to steal it? And like, really? So it's grossing me out, whatever. You know, back in mass pants days, they're putting on the mass pants. We're doing everything. And I would have people, Tara, watch the boot. And they'd pull this handle. Tara, watch the boot. And I'm like, what is wrong with all these people? I'm like, they're really weird. So, So finally, I think the handle that... The handle got pulled like maybe 14 times and every time they pulled it, somebody would look at me and tell me to watch the boot. And this one cop finally grabs me by my shoulders and he goes, Tara, watch the boot. And he pulls me away and I'm like, the boot's right there. And he goes, no, the boot's right there. It's the the metal thing that sticks out for the third rail. Oh, <laughs> I was standing like right next to it. And he's like, what did you think? I'm like, well, the foot's in a boot. And he goes, no, you idiot. Like, we're trying to not let you electrocute yourself. That's why they keep pulling the handle. It turns the power off. And I'm like, what? So we get up we get up to Bellevue with the guy. And I did still have the foot in the boot. But <laughs> I watched it the whole time. I felt, like, nice. attached. Not? And uh, so this lieutenant, I forget who it was, comes flying into the, to the ER. He's like, what idiots were down in the subway? And it was us in a Cabrini unit, and that's how long ago it was. Right. And uh, <laughs> we're like, we were, why? He's like, what were you doing down there? We're like, well, we were getting the man out from under the train? No, what else did you do? There are trains stuck in every station around this <laughs> borough. Every time they pull the handle, <laughs> it would stop somebody else. So oh, he's like, man. what were you touching? We're like, nothing. <laughs> Nothing. We didn't. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. I was like, I was watching the boot. Wow. So, <laughs> were the people pissed that you guys were taking so long? Oh yeah, always, always. Because <laughs> I'm gonna tell you about Brooklyn, <laughs> my favorite borough. I remember doing a C, doing CPR on, a, on an arrest in front of a uh, grocery store in bodega, mm-hmm. and people were stepping over us to go into the store to complete their transactions. I'm oh. like, I, I don't believe this. I thought I saw it all. They were literally like, move out the way. I got to get my stuff. Mm-hmm. Like at least three people stepped over us while we were doing compressions on this poor person in the uh, front, the doorway of yeah. the store. You're, you like, should have moved him out of that Brooklyn, way. We, yeah. they, don't, they don't play? All right, final question. What advice would you give to a 20-year-old Tara about going into EMS? I think, all right, going into EMS, I think I would tell me to listen more. Because, you know, you get to a point where you don't listen to anybody and you think everybody's an idiot. So I think I would listen more. I probably would have told myself to go become a paramedic sooner than I did. You know, six years working BLS. You, you kind of look back now like, wow, how did I think that was it? You know? Um, and I don't know. I, I guess take less stuff in the beginning. Because I took a lot. Like being touched and things like that. It, it's, you know. That was actually assault. Well, that yeah, <laughs> it, but, it, but it wasn't but back, back then. then. It wasn't. It was, you, well, come on, don't be a girl. Insane. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, and it, that I think that bothers me more just because of how often it was and how, like, it was, there was chiefs that would touch you. Like, there was just really a lot of inappropriate things, which I think is what makes me, even now, like, try to teach girls, like, don't, don't let people talk down to you. But, yeah, I would tell young me to, to maybe shut up and listen a little bit more because... See, so 
that's interesting, right? I'll, I'll go back to our generation mm-hmm. and then the, this generation today. The complaints I get about the new people today is that they don't listen. Oh, see? But we always say we listened. We were told to sit in a truck and shut up, and that's what we did. But now, you know, like... I did, but I didn't really pay attention. Like, yeah, I, mean, I, did, I didn't talk, but I didn't really care what they were saying either, so... Yeah, I put on my Walkman. Right, I put <laughs> Walkman's but, back but, that's, but just going back, yeah, listen more. I do agree with that. Um, yeah, I, now, now that you said that, yeah, I didn't listen. I just, okay, sat in the truck and shut up. Right. That's not listening. That's just do you know do what you're told is not listening if someone's giving you advice. Um, yeah, and and last one, take less crap. Definitely yeah. stand up for yourselves. Um, yeah, but I think that comes with getting confidence. Mm-hmm. You know, it so does because you, you, you got to know what you're saying and what, and if you're gonna clap back at somebody, you got to be knowledgeable in your clapping back. So. You, you do, you do. I'll give you that one. Yeah, but uh, absolutely, all all good it's... points, all good points, and definitely good conversation. Good talking to you, Tara. <laughs> you too. <laughs> we'll definitely have to do this again. I know there's plenty more stories. I definitely have more. And we between us, the, the friends we have, we'll get through to come come by and uh sit and have some of these conversations. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And you're always welcome here on the Lights and Sirens podcast. And um thanks for stopping by. <laughs>